Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I Never Told You, production of iHeartRadio. Okay, so right off the bat, before we get into this one, yes, probably obvious from the title, but um, a content warning, just in case perhaps... Uh, you're in a place mentally or physically where <laughs> you do not need to hear a lot about um, sex and or orgasms um, are also perhaps uh, if you have someone younger in your life and you want to give this a listen or they listen, it's pretty straightforward. Some potential TMI for sure. Brief mention of sexual assault, but just to put that out there, just to put that out there, I am very... Uh, we we joke a lot, Samantha and I, and uh, other coworkers about our uh, search history. And yes. <laughs> my search history has really gotten interesting in the last right. couple of days. <laughs> I was like, look, we have some uh, interesting topics. You take this one, I take the other one, and then people can just judge us by our search <laughs> content later. <laughs> Please don't. It's a real mess in there. <laughs> <laughs> So I did have two questions that I ran by Samantha that I wanted to start this episode with. One, do you remember your first orgasm? And two, have you ever faked one? Yes. So I think I can't clearly remember my first orgasm, but I know I had one pretty young in age because I masturbated often as a kid. And Mm -hmm. I say kid, I was pretty young, probably not too long after I started my period when I really started figuring out my body. Of course, when it comes to like abuse and such and the things that I had gone through, there's a whole level of conversation to that as well in trying mm-hmm. to understand sex. So, so so I sexually acted out before at that point in time, and I may have confused that mm-hmm. to be an orgasm, but I, I was pretty young when figuring out my body. We'll say it like that. Mm-hmm. I have also, yes, faked. I have faked on a couple of occasions, sometimes just because it was taking too long. Uh-huh. Or sometimes it was just because uh, I was just tired. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. That's typically it. Don't know if I might, you know what? I think one of the times the first relationship or like consistent partner sex that I had, I may have, I think I faked because I felt bad. Right. I thought that's what you're supposed to do. <laughs> wow, you're touching on so much stuff that we are going to discuss. Yeah. It's great. Oh yeah, I am a stereotype for sure. No, no, that. no. It's not. It's not that at all. But uh, we're going to get into some stuff around why women fake orgasms uh, yeah. towards the end, and yeah. you're just touching on a lot of reasons that people <laughs> gave. Yeah, I I don't remember my first orgasm. I think I was probably in middle school. I know I told the story on here before, but I told my friend I thought I was having one when I would be like get really into a TV show. My imagination would go wild. She's like, "No, you're not." And looking back, I think I might have been <laughs> not um, knowing your powers. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> she was like, "That's just a stomach cramp," and I'm like, "I think I know the difference between a stomach cramp." I don't know that they'd be like super aroused. May have been the conversation, but not necessarily for you, per se. Uh, right. I have also told this story. I did not masturbate. And in fact, I didn't think that was a thing women could do until college. So I didn't like explore my body at all. But I'm pretty sure middle school, 
I have never faked one, but I have, I and mean, I'm going to talk about this a bit more later, what I call heightened it, where I just feel like, unfortunately, sometimes people don't believe you unless you're like putting on this performance. Right. But also sometimes it would help me get in the mindset. Right. Yeah. And we're going to be talking about that later. I know that's a co- really controversial topic, especially in feminist circles. So we're going to tackle all of that. Um, so this was inspired by something that, Samantha, you brought to my attention, which is like this Twitter spat or something. Right. So essentially what was happening was, I think it was a podcast actually of four men who are talking about women and orgasm. And uh, of course it got reposted and all over Twitter went viral because the dudes, and I'm not even going to mention their names because it's just, the the stupidity is just too much for me. (laughs) Pretty much started off with, if you're having an orgasm, that means you're being the man because women aren't supposed to have orgasms. That's the man thing. Mm. which I was like, that is the stupidest. (laughs) Like, I don't think I've ever heard that as a thing. Like, typically I've heard that women can't have orgasms. I've been told that. But that it's a man thing. If you're doing it, you're trying to be a man seems like a whole different level Mm. to the fact that the white dude was like, I didn't know women could, as we know. And I didn't Uh think it was biologically possible. And so they went on to say, yeah, so if women are saying they have orgasms, they're lying and they're faking or they're trying to be men and they need to be shut down. Essentially. And I was like, what? (laughs) And of course, this is like one of those moments of like, do you really want to say this out loud? Because this is just a self-own of how Mm -hmm. often you've never pleasured a woman. Like you're just telling on yourself about how bad at sex you really are. So (laughs) you really need to be quiet, sir. Yeah. Yeah. When you told me that, I... I thought it was, you know, absolutely ridiculous. But then I was looking at some of the history behind the orgasm. And it's wild to me how recent people still had those kinds of beliefs, like widespread. Right. Wow. I, I was waiting for at least one of them, since there were four of them, to say something, anything. Yeah. To be like, well... <laughs> but maybe it's because I didn't watch the entire entire YouTube or whatever video it was. Mm-hmm. I just watched the clip that was posted and I right. missed that part. But I'm not wasting time. Sure. For beyond those 20 seconds of the clip. (laughs) No. (laughs) We don't want that for you, Samantha. So yes, we're going to go over some aspects of women and orgasms. There have been past episodes on faking orgasms, the science of orgasms. We talked about it in our book club on Come As You Are and in our interview with the founder, creator of Ose. And a lot of this is just scratching the surface. Um, This could go in so many different ways and like so much more in depth. If you want that, let us know. We're happy to do it. I I was trying to wrangle it all and I I got a little overwhelmed, to be honest. (laughs) Um, And disclaimer before we dig into the research, a lot of the research that's been done around orgasms relies on self-reporting, which for obvious reasons. Uh, And that isn't necessarily the most accurate or reliable information. So Just to put that out there. Right. So let's jump in with what? What are they? Yeah. Surprisingly tricky to define. And from Merriam-Webster, intense or proximal excitement, especially the rapid pleasurable release of neuromuscular tensions at the height of sexual arousal that is usually accompanied by the ejaculation of semen in the male and by vaginal contractions in the female. 
Yes, and they usually involve an increase in sensitivity, heart rate, breathing, and muscle contractions, certain brain areas lighting up. Uh, More than 30 brain systems get activated, followed by a release of chemicals in the brain sort of happening throughout. While it's hard to say for sure, science indicates that men and women experience orgasms pretty much the same. So we're not having like wildly different experiences. They're pretty Mm. similar. Most theories, and yes, there are theories, we're going to get into that more in a minute, um, suggest that there are four stages of orgasming. Excitement, plateau, orgasm, and resolution. That resolution step gets left out a lot, though. However, there are a lot of issues with this. Not everyone experiences orgasm the same way. They vary for everyone, and not everyone orgasms every time or at all. Right. So there are a couple of different types of orgasms available for women, uh, clitoral and vaginal. Easiest for penises, but most difficult for people with vaginas. Anal, blended, and erogenous zones like nipples. Um, Some also experience multiple orgasms. Right, Annie? Yes. Oh, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, According to Jonathan Margulis's 2005 work, Oh, the Intimate History of the Orgasm, the average person spends about 20 seconds a week in orgasm, which comes out to about 12 minutes a year or 10 hours over the course of an average lifespan. And I blew by that (laughs) 10-hour mark in quarantine. I think like five sessions. Yep. Covered that. Um, And not to brag, but yes, I do have multiple orgasms. Uh In fact, normally, because I have that thing with numbers, I try to get one for every setting if it's like a three-setting thing. So it's just easy for me. (laughs) I'm very lucky. Um, And yeah, I can't get off by thinking and by food that one time. So Still baffled by the food thing. Oh, gosh. So the average woman takes about 20 minutes to come. And according to some sources, and while 85% of men believe that the last woman they've been with had come, hmm, only 64% of women reported that that was the case. Higher than I thought. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Only 25% of women reliably orgasm during intercourse, like penis, vaginal intercourse specifically. One third of women rarely or never do. I definitely know some women who have never experienced an orgasm. Numbers show somewhere between 5 to 10% uh, never, never experience orgasms. That shakes out a bit differently if we look at couplings between two women where 86% report that they usually are always orgasm compared to about 65% of straight women compared to 95% of straight men. These numbers do vary based on the study, but they generally fall out around the same way in terms of gap. Some of the reasons given for this orgasm gap, as it's called, are prioritizing of male pleasure, lack of knowledge about the clitoris, and fears and suppression of female sexuality and pleasure. The study found the following behaviors increased likelihood of orgasming, received more oral sex, had longer lasting sex, reported higher relationship satisfaction, asked for what they wanted in bed, engaged in sexual emails or calls, expressed love during sex, acted out sexual fantasies, tried new sexual positions. So there's no correlation that's been found between orgasms in women and the number of children they have. Good to know. Which I've never heard of that, but apparently that was a popularly held belief too. Yeah, there's so many uh, wives' tales when it comes down to it. That's sexist, mm-hmm. isn't it? <laughs> yeah, probably. <laughs> we'll address that in another episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to like, is it? I'm, I'm, now that I'm thinking about it. Okay, anyway, so let's talk about some problems. All of this cultural fascination with orgasm means it is a lucrative industry, very much so. Look at half of the prescription ads now. Vibrators, lube, sex therapy, 
which can be very, very expensive. Uh, medications, vitamins, classes, camps, pornography, exercises, surgeries, books, all kinds of things. Oh, yeah. Uh, Jen Gunther, OBGYN and notorious mythbuster around female sexuality, told Catherine Smith at The Atlantic, the whole sex industry, it's all about the female orgasm in the sense that it's not about the pleasure that gets you there. Patriarchal society wants women to be horny for men when the men are ready. It's like, of course, oh mighty sore bearer, you should be able to just twist a nipple and stick it in and in three seconds, I'm going to arch my back and act like the most pleasurable thing in the world is happening to me. She also said her sons started walking out on watching Game of Thrones with her because she kept counting down the women characters' climaxes. Right. Um, <laughs> but... This, she argues, is detrimental for women and men in similar ways that porn can be in terms of what we think is normal. She said, there are countless different ways that women's sexuality can be weaponized against them, pick away, and it exists. So the whole article from The Atlantic is worth checking out because I just didn't have any knowledge about the ins and outs of sex therapy, for instance, or mm -hmm. sex camps. I didn't know. And, and that article goes into some of that which I'd love to come back and do a whole episode on. And yeah, speaking of, let's briefly go over some issues women face when it comes to difficulty orgasming. We've discussed before psychological issues like low self-esteem or poor body image or something like anxiety or an eating disorder that can affect sexual performance and ability to orgasm. There are medical issues like vulvodynia, vaginismus, and difficulty producing lubrication, to name a few. A 2018 analysis identified some top factors in sexual dysfunction. Relationship problems, stress, mental health issues, poor physical health, genetourinary issues such as pelvic pain, a history of abortion, a history of female genital mutilation, sexual abuse, being religious, perhaps due to sexual shame and stigma. Mm -hmm. So the analysis found that things like communication, positive body image, exercise, and masturbation can help improve sexual dysfunction. Some people experience depression, sadness, shame, irritability, crying, self-loathing, etc. after orgasm achieved through consensual pleasurable sex. Things like postcoital tristesse or postcoital dysphoria. Some studies suggest over half of women have experienced postcoital dysphoria or PCD at least once. And a recent survey found that it often is linked more to unrealistic expectations than an underlying medical condition. Yes. Um, and this is kind of related to la petite more or the little death, which is used to describe the unconsciousness people, some people experience after orgasming, likening it to death. Um, and something I've just learned about and experienced and foolishly did an experiment to test for research for this episode. And it took oh, me no. out for like a whole day are sex or orgasm headaches. <laughs> what a fool I am. So these are intense headaches that occur during or after sexual arousal. They can be short-lived or last a few hours or a couple days, about three days. They're pretty rare and men are more likely to experience them than women. If you are someone who suffers from migraines, you're more likely to experience them as well. There are two types, orgasm headache, which is intense throbbing pain during or after orgasm, or sexual benign headaches, which are these headaches that build during sexual arousal that kind of come from the neck and then go up. Some experience both at once, and they can be uh, a one-time thing or happen in clusters over a six to 12-month period. Some people have said they're around for life. Um, they happen because of muscle contractions and or a spike in blood pressure. 
Typically, there are no underlying issues, but if there are any other symptoms, it could indicate something more serious is going on. As always, we are not a medical podcast, so do not come to us for medical advice. And this is by no means an exhaustive list of some of the problems around sexual dysfunction, but just a few that we wanted to touch on here. Wait, so how did you experiment? Um, <laughs> you said it. And then yeah, I was oh, like, I okay. don't understand. <laughs> okay, no. So I had I had gotten a very very intense headache after orgasming like a month ago, and it was really bad. And I was like, Wow, this must be a one time thing. I hope. And I looked it up, and I found this. And then uh, as I was researching this, and I came across the orgasm headache, I was like, Well, let's see. If I get one again, okay, <laughs> I did, and I'm a and little concerned. Huh. Yeah. Oh, it was awful. Like it, it was an entire day of like a migraine level headache. So I hope I'm not in this like 12 month boat. But Interesting. We'll see. We'll see. Okay. <laughs> All right, so we did want to go over some history very briefly, but first we're going to pause for a quick break for a word from our sponsor. back. Thank you, sponsor. And yes, we're back with a very brief history of the women's orgasm. <laughs> of the women's. Of the women's. So historically, society and cultural attitudes towards women's orgasms have fluctuated between intense interest and pretending as if it didn't exist, which is hilarious. It's long been misunderstood and a source of repression, shame, and even fear, or the source of books or pamphlets trying to unlock its mysteries. In medieval times, it was commonly believed that to have a baby, a woman had to have an orgasm during sex. At the time, scientists thought that women's genitals were men's but inverted. So essentially, they thought women had to ejaculate orgasm like men in order for conception to take place. Unfortunately, some people still use this line of thinking when it comes to sexual assault and rape, that in order to get pregnant, and we've heard this recently, a woman has to orgasm, and if she has orgasms, she must have enjoyed it, so it's not rape, which is extremely incorrect, uh, damaging and dangerous, and a flat-out lie, and stop it. (laughs) And stop it. (laughs) Then, of course, there were the rampant diagnoses of hysteria or a wandering womb, which eventually may have led to the invention of the vibrator, first patented in the 1880s so that doctors wouldn't have to stimulate women in their offices. So, if this is true, more of an invention for male relief than female pleasure. Certainly, the idea that for women, orgasms were a medical necessity took some of the pleasure and fun out of it. And the American Psychiatric Association didn't drop hysteria as a medical diagnosis until 1980. Mm -hmm. However, a recent study from my alma mater, Georgia Tech, suggested that there's actually no evidence for this. And there were a few other detractors before this study. The doctors doing the manual massage and the reasoning for the vibrators invention, like, maybe that never happened? (laughs) Um, And the person who first put forth this hypothesis and popularized it, Rachel Maines herself, said it was always meant to be a hypothesis, though her writing does not necessarily clearly indicate that. But people ran with it. Like, I I definitely had no doubts that that had happened because I've just seen it so many places. 
German anatomist George Ludwig Kobelt produced the first diagram of the clitoris sometime in the 1800s. We've done past episodes on the clitoris, but to reiterate, as far as we know, it is the only human organ made entirely for pleasure, boasting a whopping 8,000 nerve endings, which is like a lot more than penis. <laughs> it's like a lot. <laughs> um, that being said, in 1857, a British gynecologist by the name of William Acton wrote, the majority of women, happily for them, are not very much troubled by sexual feelings of any kind. Happily mm. for them. Random. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So in the 1940s, uh, scientist Alfred Kinsey released all the sexual findings he'd uncovered from the thorough survey. Yes, very thorough survey. He completed in his work, Sexual Behavior in the Human Female. This report caught national attention, and it did include several pieces of information about the female orgasm. For instance, Kinsey found that 40% of women surveyed reported getting their first orgasm through masturbation. Yes, while 5% got them through wet dreams. It took women on average four minutes to achieve orgasm during masturbation, and over 10% experienced multiple orgasms. And in general, women's orgasm abilities steadily increased until about 55 or 60. Nice. Those numbers and openness about sex helped demystify the female orgasm in the United States. Yeah, and I do think it's worth pointing out that a lot of scientific research into female sexuality and orgasms has been conducted by men. Yeah. It's changing, but I think there's a lot that says a lot yeah. to me. <laughs> this whole thing might have opened the door to a lot of scientific inquiry in the 60s about why exactly women had orgasms. And oh, the theories. One was that it proved the man, so yes, very heteronormative here, was attentive, caring, and gentle, and would therefore be a good father. Others suggested it was a way of bonding with multiple partners or that it sort of did a suction action to suck in more <laughs> sperm or <laughs> that the pleasure means women will have more sex, which means more babies, which is good for the survival of the species. On top of this, scientific investigation was going into the female orgasm, revealing things like women could experience orgasm from clitoral or vaginal stimulation. Um, this was also the the time of the sexual revolution when women's orgasm and sexual agency were linked to things like economic autonomy, um, that sexual repression led to fascism, things like that. Right. So the question as to why women orgasm is the ongoing subject of scholarly debate, the subject of books, magazine covers, yes, along with headlines like the best position to get her off. Very good. And lately, <laughs> we've been hearing a lot about the health benefits of orgasming, including the startling finding that it may massively increase pain threshold. Yeah, by like 100%. Nice. Okay. Some recent discoveries imply that the female orgasm used to be integral to conception. Hmm. Some species are called reflex ovulators, meaning the females only produce an egg when stimulated, while others are spontaneous ovulators, meaning the females produce eggs without stimulation. <laughs> like those of us with uteruses. Mm -hmm. The thinking is that evolution rendered the female orgasm unnecessary for some species, humanity being one of them. As you might imagine, some people vehemently disagree, mostly on what exactly constitutes an orgasm when it comes to women. One person who has had some qualms with this theory is Elizabeth Lloyd, author of The Case of the Female Orgasm and affiliated faculty scholar at the Kinsey Institute for Research in Sex, Gender, and Reproduction. 
In her book, she delved into the 21 published theories about the female orgasm that she could find and sorted them into some basic categories. There's the byproduct theory that hinges on the fact that for the first two months as babies are developing, we're all working off the same basic plan. So you've probably heard this before uh, to explain why men have nipples. Same principle, men need orgasms, so women get them too. Then there's the pair bond theory. Basically, orgasming keeps women coming back for more, and this strengthens the relationship. Lloyd is quick to point out that the evolutionary importance doesn't equal cultural importance, that orgasming is important for women no matter the scientific why (laughs) behind it. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, this is... People are still unclear. They're still looking into it. Others think we just really don't know the answer to it yet. Um, So we'll uh, see, see how that goes, see how that develops. There are some things that we wanted to talk about culturally, speaking of. But first, we're going to pause for one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Societally, we place a lot of importance on the orgasm as the end-all, be-all, the end game. But as we discussed in our Come As You Are episode, that doesn't have to be the case. And that very line of thinking can make it harder to orgasm. Sex can be good without orgasming. Yes. Just, it can be. Yes. Um, that's, <laughs> that's not to say if it's something you want, you shouldn't get it. But sometimes it just might not happen, and that's okay. Sometimes you might just not be in the mood. or right. You know, there are plenty of reasons why the orgasm doesn't have to be this big deal that we're, we've traditionally made it to be. Margolis, who we mentioned earlier, wrote, It is as if the modern mythology and cult of orgasm has placed the sensation on such a pedestal, created such an aspirational superbrand of it, that women perfectly capable of orgasm refuse to believe they are having a legitimate one. And that was actually one of the most shocking things for me. I guess it shouldn't be, because here I am, like, I think I was orgasming in middle school, was so women weren't sure if they had ever orgasmed right. or weren't sure, like, it was the question of like, are we all just lying about how good sex is and I actually have had an orgasm? <laughs> right, right. So Margolis was a key part in really espousing the importance of the orgasm too. He also wrote, much of the raw violence in fundamentalist societies must stem from the male's sexual frustration. Yeah, so it's interesting that he's like, yeah, we've really built it up into too much, but then it's sort of adding <laughs> to <Yeah>. it. <laughs> sex educator Lux Alptram wrote about this in her 2018 book, Faking It, The Lies Women Tell About Sex and the Truths They Reveal, that a woman's orgasm has become, quote, the primary, if not entire, purpose for pursuing sex, a sentiment that suggests that anyone who isn't able or doesn't want to achieve orgasm is some kind of freak or failure. That can be a lot of pressure for both parties, for anybody, (laughs) Um, which can make it less pleasurable overall. In Alptrom's mind, a big part of creating this narrative was the popular 2004 Ian Kerner Cunnilingus manual, She Comes First. In Alptrom's words, this helped treat the female orgasm, quote, as a badge of honor and proof of a man's virility, rendering women's actual needs, desires, and authentic pleasure subordinate to the appeasement of the heterosexual male ego. I will say, I brought this up, that we were researching this among a mixed group of friends, um, and all the women 
pretty much echoed that. <laughs> that it's like, even if they are orgasming, it's not about them. Right. That's how they felt. It's also become very, very feminist in some sex to demand an orgasm, to never fake it. And I remember we talked about this on a past episode, and some people wrote in angry that uh, Bridget had said she'd faked it and that people said you never should. But she was a big proponent of orgasms too. So let's get into let's get into faking it. Right. So we've established that a good number, including myself, of women don't consistently orgasm during heterosexual intercourse. Again, for a variety of reasons, and yet it's often tied into the sense of accomplishment of the male ego. Very true. So, yeah, let's talk about it. Let's talk about faking it. Some surveys suggest at least 66% of women have faked it at least once, compared to about 25% of men. A recent study out of the UK found women reported these main reasons for faking it. And yes, I do check <laughs> off a lot of these lists. Um, I probably faked it like total of three times, four times. Twice with a, the same partner, though. He was, you know, whatever. Um, because here are some reasons. She wants to make her partner feel good because it turns her on, because she's insecure or afraid, because she wants to make the sex stop, because she's embarrassed or self-conscious, because she's worried that she can't reach orgasm. Some report issues of safety as well. Yeah, the interesting thing about these findings is that it shows several selfish reasons when the widely accepted belief is that it has been all about the partner. I will say for myself, again, it's not necessarily about the partner as much as a couple of times for sure about the partner, but more just like, I just wanted to stop. Just, just <laughs> make a stop. Right, right. And I don't know, like, I think that's, I was like, it's a good ending. We're done. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and this is something we've seen in all kinds of media. Usually a woman is telling a male friend that women fake it. He's like, oh, no one has with me right. ever. And she rolls her eyes and demonstrates through a series of sounds and facial expressions that, yes, probably someone did. <laughs> and his male ego is left shaken. When Harry Met Sally is probably the most famous example with I'll have what she's having. But it's a plot point in things like Seinfeld. So there's a the Seinfeld episode where Elaine is like, yeah, I faked it. And, you know, Elaine and Jerry used to date. And he's like, well, not going with me, right? And she was like, uh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then it sends Jerry on this spiral of like, just give me one more chance. I can do it. Um, but Elaine, like, asks around uh, other women, like, have you ever faked it? And most of them say, when it's enough already and I want to get some sleep. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 But you, of course, have a Sex in the City reference, oh, yes? Of course. Well, yeah, because we were doing a couple of uh, episodes on different things. And uh, I'm like, look, this points to a Sex in the City episode in which your response is, hey, is there a Sex in the City episode about faking your orgasm? I was like, let me tell you. <laughs> yes. yes. Uh, and which is funny because the person who is faking the orgasm is Miranda, who is probably the most staunch feminist of the show, mm -hmm. who would absolutely be about, like, taking down the patriarchy. But she does it with a dude, and then she never talks to him again. Then mm -hmm. they come back together because she has this moment of, like, oh, my God, uh, what if I never find anybody in my alone moment? So she goes back to this dude, and she tells him, oh, yeah, I'm faking it, because she finally decides not to fake it for the first time. And when she tries to blame her and say, oh, are you one of those women? who can't oh. have an orgasm, in which her response is, no, I've had plenty. It's just with you. And he's like, no one's ever done that with me. And his mm -hmm. her response was like, ah. And so he goes through all the numbers of women that he yep. has figured out. Yes. Uh -huh. Probably has faked it. 
She tries to teach him. Can never get there. So she again ghosts him. End of story. <laughs> Great episode, though. But it is one of those things where they watch, which is hilarious. It's almost meta to the fact that they watch an episode of something and the girl on the show immediately climaxes and she goes into a hub about like, see, this is why men don't know how to place women. We see this. She's immediately Mm -hmm. having sex. And they're like, yeah, but you're faking it. So that's why he thinks he's doing a good job. Mm -hmm. As well as the fact that that show in itself, they all, every single one of them have orgasms every time except for that one episode. And it's always within 30 seconds. Yeah, I'm like, eh, who's mm-hmm. calling the kettle black here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a really good point too, of which we've touched on briefly, but things like pornography and how we see it in media definitely influences all of us, not just men who think, oh, it's that quick. But even women, I think, right. often internalize those messages and think there's something wrong with me that it's taking so long or whatever, whatever it is. So most sex therapists believe that faking it will build resentment and guilt while also decreasing the pleasure because the faker is busy performing. Some women have reported finding faking it empowering or a turn-on, that it takes all the pressure off of the orgasm, especially if it's something difficult for them to to get to. Um, We can argue about all the reasons that difficulty might be, many of them patriarchy-related, but some health and anatomy-related too, and we can't deny their experience. And we also can't deny that the other party may be hurt by this revelation. Right. A lot of women writing about why they fake say they don't want to hurt the man's feelings, but also that they're afraid they'll be hurt if they find out that they've been faking. One of them pointed out, would men in general ever consistently put on a performance to not hurt the other person's feelings? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I've definitely had conversations with men where they... uh, yeah, they just, they're so blown away by the that very thought of like, well, why would you do it? Yes. Um, <laughs> isn't it exhausting? I think another piece of this is we're not being totally honest with each other as women. Right. When we're talking to our friends, we may paint sex, the sex that we're having as great. Uh, and because in pop culture, faking it means something fell short. Even if, again, the sex was great, yeah. we might not be open about that. Uh, Samantha and I aside, because we're pretty (laughs) pretty talkative over all this stuff. One study did find that straight women who hold anti-feminist views are more likely to fake it. It also found that women who are uncomfortable saying clitoris are more likely to fake orgasms. And there is a definite Venn diagram there. However, plenty of people who identify as feminists have faked it for a variety of reasons. Um, Some that we've gone over here. And the thing is, sex can be pretty awkward. And it can be kind of scary, especially when you're younger. And we're always promoters of honest communication, but you might not be there yet. Um, In early days, when you're just learning each other's bodies and your own body, you might not know yourself either. It may take some enthusiastic consenting experimentation or self-discovery. Right. Also worth mentioning, not everyone experiences orgasms the same way or even the same way every time. And some people are loud, some are quiet. There's no real way to know other than asking, despite all the articles claiming otherwise. Communication is important, y'all. Yeah, I found plenty of articles that were like, how to know if she's faking. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Also, on a personal note, as someone who has never faked, I'm not saying I wouldn't. I just, it hasn't happened. Um, I have, like I said, heightened. And that does sometimes help me get 
to the orgasm. Um, and I've always thought of it kind of in that way of like making yourself smile can help you get in a better mood, um, even if it was a fake smile. And some research suggests that I'm onto something with the faking it and the orgasm or even just the kind of heightening right. your, your reactions. But I've also seen this become a thing done for men so that it will actually believe you when you say you're enjoying something so you feel like you have to act a bit more. And then at the same time, the whole faking it concept as to the not trusting women thing that is at play here. And as part of the, the reason many women fake it in the first place, because they don't believe you when you say you're enjoying it. So you right. fake it. And then you, that's another reason women can't be trusted. <laughs> right. So if you don't express it exactly how they think it is, then you didn't have an orgasm, right? Even though you may exactly. have, and you're just a quiet person. Exactly. So frustrating. <laughs> <laughs> and I saw in in several scientific articles some version of if a woman doesn't achieve orgasm, it's not her fault. But it, it the way that it was phrased, it made it sound like it was her fault. <laughs> <laughs> so much blaming women, um, saying something is wrong with them. That once again adds all of this pressure and all of these unhelpful shoulds that take you out of the moment and probably make it more difficult to orgasm if that is the thing that you want. And yeah, we've seen this line of thinking lead to violence as well, uh, which is a bigger topic than we're going to cover in this episode. But this is something that's been on my mind lately of this male ego of wanting to believe that they can always make women come, that they can't be with a woman who can't, that it's, he's great. So the problem is with her. Right. <laughs> or can't be in a steady, loyal relationship with her. I found several articles with women who said, some dude broke up with me because he thought I wasn't orgasming enough or something. What? And then that leads to experiencing these feelings of inadequacy, which again, with the numbers that we, we mentioned earlier of the rate of like heterosexual men orgasming versus heterosexual women, it doesn't add up, right? Mm-hmm. And if that, those are probably not even totally accurate. <laughs> it's it's these men who tell you that they are great in bed with no irony, who tell you that they'll show you pleasure, unlike anything you've experienced or that any other man can give you a bet. A lot of us have heard this before, mm-hmm. where the female orgasm is their trophy, something that account to tally up and brag about. Which, yes, makes it all about themselves. So even if in theory you think like, oh, I love women... Um, I'm a feminist and I always make sure my ladies <laughs> orgasm. It's about you. You're still making it about you. <laughs> yeah. That being said, pleasing a partner and being able to please a partner is part of this whole thing, um, or ideally it should be. But the reasons behind it matters, um, or at least they do if we're going to untangle some of this fixation and preoccupation we have with the orgasm and uh, specifically women, or right. female orgasm as well. <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing at you. Just rub your face half the time, like sounding so frustrated. It is. I am. (laughs) Okay, so let's close out with some myths because of the long history of misunderstanding the orgasm and continual misunderstanding of the orgasm. Myths run abound about the female orgasm. One of the big ones that we've already discussed, that women who don't or can't orgasm have psychological problems, which is not always the case. Yes, that is not always the case. However, that being said, I know that for me, this was difficult too. Like even the question at the top of like, when you've had your first orgasm, it can be for people like us who've had sexual trauma, kind of a painful uh, question. 
And I've talked about that in therapy. It helps some people to reframe like sex and rape as separate things. Um, and we talked about that in our some in our Come As You Are book club. So definitely check that out. Another myth is that the vaginal orgasm from heterosexual intercourse is superior. Sigmund Freud himself made this claim, uh, who also believed that sexual repression was necessary for society to function. He said this knowing that the clitoris had way more nerve endings than the vagina. <laughs> you can see how this belief benefited men, and yes, absolutely untrue. At the same time, there's also the myth that we started this whole episode with, that vaginal orgasms don't exist at all. <laughs> there's so much discourse and misinformation and pressure around all of this that one of the top Google results I saw when researching this topic was, can a woman orgasm and not know it? Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. It's also a myth that it's hard for women to orgasm. It's difficult in penis-vagina intercourse for some. It can be for some. But Cher Height reported in the Height Report that 95% of women, quote, could orgasm easily and regularly whenever they wanted. Vibrators are great, y'all. <laughs> There's also the myth that you have to have an orgasm to have good sex. Again, this is not true. Sometimes that intimacy alone feels nice and lovely and connected. Mm -hmm. The myth also is that women have to have an emotional connection to orgasm. <laughs> also not true. I no. don't think Annie has an emotional attachment to your vibrator. <laughs> Maybe you do. I don't know. <laughs> no. <laughs> I don't either. I just asked. Just wanted to make sure I didn't and know confirm. where that was going. <laughs> <laughs> I was just asking. Uh, it can help, sure, uh, but it's not necessary. And this is also one of those complicated things of like, what is making love and all these things. Yeah. That's, that phrase still makes me cringe. Yeah. And I mean, for some, the emotional connection can make it more difficult. Right. And then also the, the myth of this, of like, that's why women struggle to have orgasms compared to men. And it, we've talked before, like there's plenty of ways that that can be true or, or one of the big reasons women have reported is that they just have, they're like so focused on their body when they're having sex that it takes them out mm -hmm. of the pleasure of having sex. So there's a lot of stuff going on, but like overall, uh, that's not a true statement. Right? Right. <laughs> there's a lot of nuances and stuff involved. Right. And then I just wanted to add this in because I, it infuriated me. Um, so there's recent, recently, uh, DC removed in a scene of oral sex between Batman and Catwoman from the Harley Quinn show on HBO Max because, quote, heroes don't do that. <laughs> I saw Lies! this. <laughs> That's a myth. <laughs> Lies, I tell you. According to co-creator Justin Halpern, they said, it's what we sell consumer toys for heroes. It's hard to sell a toy if Batman is also going down on someone. But, but not sex in general. But okay, well, you want to connect toys as the reason for not oral, but regular sex is just fine. And that, right. that makes no sense. Yeah, I didn't know what was happening. And all of a sudden, Twitter is blowing up about how heroes, Batman specifically, what didn't do oral. And I was like, what? What is happening? Which I did not realize there was an explicit <laughs> show about Batman yes. happening. Had no clue. So I was like, uh -huh. what is happening? Because according to my notes, any of the heroes that I have seen don't have sex. <laughs> <laughs> they all sleep Your in notes. twin beds. <laughs> <laughs> in uh. separate rooms, most likely. That's how I know my comic book heroes. Uh, but <laughs> all of that to say, I was like, well, this is the most 
un, like nonsensical, weird way to start a debate. Like, why? Why yeah. did? First of all, again, this says a lot about you more than it does about anything else in society. The fact that you did that probably added more controversy than if you just left it alone. Yeah, and like you said, it's not like this is an explicit show, right? Um, <laughs> it's not as if kids are, you know their audience. I'm sure that some kids are watching it. Right. But Should they be? No. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, but yeah, it's an explicit show and it's not as if these kids are going to stop buying Batman toys or comics because of something they've probably never seen and probably never would have heard about. Right. Again. (laughs) Uh, There was a couple years ago they got in some trouble too because they (laughs) there was an image of Batman naked in one of the comics and they took it out because they said it didn't add to the plot. Everyone was like, well, what about all those naked ladies? Right. (laughs) Did they add to the plot? There's so many things that you want to question like, well, none of this is necessary for the plot. (laughs) So why? Like him eating. Him just talking to a random person on the side. I don't understand. Walking through the car. Not necessary. (laughs) Many questions. We're really <laughs> we're about to go off on a whole other tangent and episode here. Yeah, yeah. There is so much more we could talk about in this whole thing. So much that we should return to and that we want to return to. If there's anything in particular, listeners, that you are like, please talk more about this, let us know. You can email us at stephaniedamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram at stuff I never told you. Thanks as always to our super producer, Christina. Thank you. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.